Well, we are wrapping up a series, as uh, Robbie shared with you, that we've been going through for a number of weeks, and it's, it's been a series that has uh, required as much of me as probably any other series before, because I could stand up here and try to speak in platitudes and short, trite statements, and, and you would smell that, you would see that, you would look through that, and it would be an unappealing element. But the reality is that you have to deliver yourself through pain and revisit pain and so forth through this if you're going to do it justice. There's a lot to take away from a series such as this, the intensity of it. But if there's something that I want you to really, I hope you heard, I hope you hear again today, I hope that you'll reflect on tomorrow or the next day whenever you enter into the next season of pain in your life, is that pain is either going to be a problem in your life or it's going to produce a possibility. The possibility is where we want. The pain, the problem, is what we don't want. We don't want more problems. We don't want to compound pain with more pain. People do that when they get into addictions. They have so much pain in their life, so they, they, they jump from that pain into an addiction. Or the relationship factor in their life has been so bad and so marred and so messed up that they literally rebound into other relationships and unhealthy. And it's just like after years of this, it's like, when are we going to stop it? We're inflicting pain on ourselves, And that's just not, it's not good. So is pain going to be a possibility though? And the possibility factor is going to have to weigh, I'm going to say a lot on us. We have to decide if this pain is going to be used for the good and the improvement of my life, or is it going to be something that's going to tear me down and tear me apart? And I will bring it down to this, that it really comes down to, and I'm not going to oversimplify it, because I know this is what I'm about to tell you is going to be tough, but it's really going to come down to our attitude. And our attitude and how we receive, how we process, how we filter through, how we deal with the complexities of whatever the pain is. There's a statement that Nordstrom's had for a number of years in their, in their employee training manual. And it was in the very front of it. And the Pennsylvania Highway Department, of all people, actually saw it as well. And they picked it up. And they actually required all of their cadets that were trained to be police officers uh, for the Pennsylvania Highway Patrol uh, actually had to memorize this statement. And I want to read it to you today. And I want you to think about it in light of what I just shared. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education, the money, the circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, and a home. And for some of you, maybe the attitude is what's broken the home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we, that, that we can do is play one the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. I'm not saying that 
pain will get easier if we have the right attitude. But I'll say this, pain will have the right results if we have the right attitude. It doesn't necessarily deaden the pain, but it will have better results through the pain. We talked about this from the very beginning. And if you remember back, just some short, simple statements just to kind of recap the whole series. And that the reason that we go through pain is that we might be made perfect. That God wants to perfect us through the pain. The pain is there to perfect us and to make us whole and to make us right, to perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 4. But prior to that, it says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. And those trials are the that pain-inflicting element of life. Then the next week we talked about from Ecclesiastes and this very successful king and Solomon and all that he accomplished and all of his wisdom and all of his statesmanship and, and all, the, all the things that he was able to do, but yet at the end of his life, he's writing his memoirs and he comes to the end and he just says, really, it's all vain. So he became disillusioned with life, even though he was very successful with life from outward appearance. And he makes this statement, in the days of adversity, consider God. In the days of your adversity, consider God. Whatever you're going through in that dark pain, you can turn away from God, you can run from God, you can blame God. I I don't want you to blame God. I want you to consider God. Look for God in the pain. Look for God in the injustice. We also talked about how when God says no to removing our pain, he's actually saying yes to increasing our grace, his grace in our life. We talked about that from when Paul dealt with a thorn in his life, that that God gave him a thorn and that he asked three times, God, take the thorn, take the thorn, and God didn't take the thorn from him. But what he did do is he increased the grace so that he could endure the thorn. And so this is what I want to say. The pain may be there and the pain may not go away and there may not be a, a clear antidote to the pain, but if God's grace is there to get us through the pain, that's a beautiful thing. Another statement that we made is that when you find yourself disappointed with God, and I think if we're really honest with ourselves, there are times that we are disappointed with God, that we need to look for his goodness. And probably what we're most disappointed with is his lack of fairness according to our standards. And so when God doesn't even the score with that person who hurts you, in the same inning of the life, if inning is a season of your life, when God doesn't even the score and, hey, they punched me, I get to punch them, and I get to see them, in pain, then we get upset. How can they keep going on? Why do they don't? Why? Why? Why am I the one suffering? Why am I the one living? Why they seem to be going on in some kind of peaceful life? We don't know what's going on in their life, but we know what's going on in your heart, and it's tough. And we get disappointed with God. And I want to challenge you: it's in those moments that you look for His goodness, because His goodness will be there even when his fairness doesn't seem to be there. Another statement is his mercies are infinite and fresh every day. There's not going to be a day that you're going to live that his mercies will not be there for you and will not be sufficient for you. Now, for some of you, you just spent a week, you just spent a season, you just spent a month, and it has been tough, draining on you. I talked to somebody in the very first gathering who, before even hearing this message, they came up to me and said, Mike, I am empty. I have nothing. Replayed some things in their own life, in their own 
physical life and their own family life and had nothing. Sometimes you feel like you have nothing. Well, I want to say to you from Lamentations chapter 3 that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And that we need to tap into that fresh bread that comes out of God's heavenly oven every day called mercies. We talked about it last week. And that is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, there's a lot that we said about last week, but listen, one of the things I really that captured my soul was the Holy Spirit helps me in my weaknesses. So when I am weak, I am not going in alone. When I can't even pray any longer, I don't have to worry about it because the Spirit of God is living inside of me by a relationship to Jesus Christ that gives me the ability to pray even when I can't pray. It gives me the strength to move on even when I feel like I can't move on. That's what the Spirit of God does in our life, getting us through the, the painful moments of life. Don't run away from the pain. Don't necessarily go looking for pain, but don't run away from pain. When it comes to you, consider God. Look for God in the pain. That's kind of what this entire series has been kind of unpacking about. I want to give you a life principle again to sum it all up. Pain creates a space for God to show up. Now, I want to hang on to that phrase and do his most incredible and intimate work in us. Now, I want to say this again. He, pain creates a space for God to show up. Now, let me just say this because I know as a human being, and I'm, I'm like you and you're like me in this, in this regard, is I like being able to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I like being able to conquer my own challenges. I don't want to depend on anybody else. I don't want to wait on handouts from anybody. I want to be a self-sufficient, able, capable person in and of myself. But here's what happens with that is we get so capable and able in and of ourselves that we no longer need God. Insert pain and then all of a sudden I can't. And all of a sudden I need. And all of a sudden I'm dependent. I want to say to you Christians in the room today, be very careful what you hear, what you're about to hear, because I may offend some. But what happens in our self-sufficient, self-made life is we live as Christians like practical atheists. We don't need God. I'm able. I'm a work, I can work hard enough. I can make my own living. I can take care of my own health. I can take care of my own relationships. And then all of a sudden, insert pain in our life. And then we realize, oh, I can't. And it can happen in one doctor's visit. It can happen in one phone call. It can happen in one moment at work. It can happen in a blink of the eye. Pain, if you put it into an equation, it would look like this. Pain Less self-sufficiency equals an opportunity for God. When you realize, I can't, God, I can't fix this problem, I can't get that job, I can't fix my health, I can't make this whole, I can't get rid of this addiction, I can't. Good, God can. Good. Now you're in a position where God can move into that vacuum, that space, that margin, that, that, that hole, and now God, through Jesus, can do something in you. Whenever you can't. Take your Bibles, we find the book of Matthew, chapter 14. We'll be there in a moment. We look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, one that, again, you all will know probably from Sunday School Day 101. And it's whenever Jesus 
sends his disciples out and they get into a storm and Jesus goes walking on the water and Peter gets out of the boat and you know the rest of the story, spoiler alert, Peter sinks, all right? And we'll get there in, in just a moment. But most of y'all know that story. Now, it happens on this Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to throw some envy into this for a moment. But next Friday at this time, I'm going to be on the Sea of Galilee. So eat your heart out. You know, it's a beautiful place. In fact, the rabbis of old used to say that after God made all the other seas, he made the Sea of Galilee for himself. That's what they thought of the Sea of Galilee. It has four different names throughout the, the Bible. It's called a lake, it's called a sea, it's called a sea. It's got different names at different times, but it's really, it's, it's really kind of like a big lake. That would be a better description of it. If you were to look at the Sea of Galilee, you're looking at a 12 and a half mile long lake and that it's widest points are somewhere between four to seven miles wide. You can see from one side to the other. So it's not that really that big. And why do they call it a sea? I really don't know, but that's kind of the, the name that has stuck. In fact, the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee is 160 feet deep. The deepest part of Beaver Lake is 204 feet deep. So it's not even as deep as Beaver Lake. It's a lot smaller than Beaver Lake, but yet it's called the Sea of Galilee. And it's this place where Jesus did so much of his work and so much of his ministry. And in, in Matthew chapter 14, after doing a, a day of ministry, and not only just a day of ministry, by the way, of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So it's not just your typical day. It's, it's an account where Jesus does a miracle in front of his disciples. They're actually a part of the miracle, a part of the process of the solution to the pain of hunger. Let's kind of jump up. But then he puts them immediately in a boat. Let's jump in verse 22 of chapter 14. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. So again, there's 5,000 people there. In John's account of this, it's recorded in all four Gospels, by the way, which doesn't happen all the time, but John's account in in chapter 6 of John, he talks about the idea that they were literally going to be forming a mob, a crowd around Jesus, and they were going to coronate him as king. And so therefore, he disperses the crowds and and gets them away because he says, listen, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to be an earthly king. And so he disperses the crowd, and they go on their way, and he puts them in the boat, and they go on their way. And, uh, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went to the mountain by himself to pray. I think Jesus was an introvert, because that's what introverts do. That's me right there. And when evening came, he was there alone. It's a pretty incredible story, because what happens right prior to this is there is a, there's a miracle of miracles. Again, recorded on all, all four of the Gospels. Feeding a 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And he puts the disciples immediately in a boat, puts them and sends them to the other side. While they still have breadcrumbs on their apron, they still have fish smell on their hands, he puts them in a boat and sends them to the other side. Oh, by the way, whenever they were through feeding the 5,000, it's so ironic that there were 12 disciples and there were 12 baskets of fish and bread left over. I don't know if that was their box lunch for the boat ride or, or what. They gave it back to the little boy or what. But needless to say, every disciple was holding in his hand in 3D version of God doing something beautiful and they were looking at it. How in the world did this happen? And I don't want you to miss this because these people were hungry. 
Talk about pain, hunger pains. Now, I doubt if there's hardly anybody in this room right now who's really dealing with hunger pains. Now, if you've got some goldfish crackers and you're going to give them to your kids right now, I promise you they're not really that hungry. They're just bored because they're listening to me. But, but needless to say, they're not hungry. You fed them last night. You'll feed them again today. You might have even given them some Cheerios for breakfast this morning. They're not hungry. They can miss a meal and not be really hungry. We can, I can miss a meal and not really be... But these people have been going all day long and there was hunger pains. And we got to realize in this world, that's a real pain. Most of the world, undeveloped world, lives on less than $2 a day. The pain of hunger is very, very real. So I, I'm saying this to get you into the moment, to get you into the scenario that there was a real pain going on. But God steps up and he meets it. The disciples were a part of it. But then immediately, because there's something that happens that's a disconnect. Mark's gospel points this out, that they didn't learn anything from the loaves. You read Mark's account of this. They didn't learn anything from the loaves. They were literally a part of the miracle. They were literally holding a basket in their hand of, of the remnants of the miracle. They had literally watched these people get fed. They saw this. He puts them in a boat, but they don't get it. There are so many people. God is still working. He's working in this person's life, but when the storm comes to your life, when an issue comes to your life, all of a sudden now things begin to unravel. That's the backdrop of the story of God at work, of meeting a painful situation, stepping up, insert Jesus. There's a void, there's a gap, there's hunger. Jesus steps up. I want to ask you a question. Put it, put it in three questions, if you will. Where's your pain? today. The pain in your life. I want you to take a spot in your bulletin and I want you to jot it down. Maybe it's in raising your children. Maybe it's in your marital relationship. Maybe it's on your job. Maybe there's a physical pain. Maybe there's a trust factor pain. Whatever is the pain. Maybe it's a pain of loneliness. What is the pain that you are walking in right now? Think about it. Then I want you to answer the second question. What is my insufficiency? Why is it that I can't meet that need? I am lonely. I can't force that person to love me. I, I, I need a job. I can't force them to hire me. You're insufficient in that you can't make it happen. You can't complete it. How might God show up in that situation right now? I'm a believer. My spouse is not a believer. How could God show up in that painful situation in your life right now? And then I want you to jot down these next three attitude adjustments that we need to have in our life. As you know the situation, he puts him in the boat, sends him to the other side. Number one attitude adjustment is storms are a part of God's pathway for life. We need to realize that. Storms are a part of God's pathway through life. Storms make us vulnerable. Storms unveil weaknesses in us. They again show us how we are not capable. I'm strong until I'm weak. I'm healthy until I'm sick. I'm employed until I'm unemployed. You, you see what happens? All of a sudden it turns on a diamond. All of a sudden you become strong person, becomes weak person, vulnerable person. What are you going to do? Why is it that God would ever do what God did in this situation? Think about it for a moment. Jesus is fully God and fully man. 
Why didn't he tap into his divinity? Or maybe he did. Because if he knows everything, then he knows there's going to be a storm tonight, and he knows that this is going to happen. He knows there's going to be a storm. Why didn't he say this to the disciples? Hey, guys, there's going to be a really bad storm tonight. Let's just camp out here on the shore. We'll take up tomorrow morning. We'll head across to the other side. Why didn't he do that? Unless God intentionally put them into the storm. God allowed them to go into the storm. He said, God would never do that. God would never allow us to push us and, and send us into a storm. Why, oh, oh, really? Look at the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit, but he was led right into the fangs, right into the grasp, right into the influence of Satan himself. Led by the Spirit into temptation. Led by the Spirit into the tempter's hand. Listen, following Jesus is not your express lane out of pain. It's your sure lane through the pain. It doesn't get you out of the pain, but it gets you through the pain. He gets you through the pain. Here's a couple of verses. I got so many verses. I'm ending the series today, but I could go on for, for, for weeks. Here's some verses. Jot them down. I'm going to give it to you in rapid fire. Psalm 34, 18. God is near to the brokenhearted. He upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Psalm 145. We read this earlier, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps in our weaknesses. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're today in this room and your pain that you wrote down a few moments ago is a sense of abandonment from God, you have a promise in Scripture that he has not abandoned you. I will not leave you nor will I forsake you. And, oh, by the way, Jesus said, I'm not going to let anybody snatch you out of my hand. You're safe and secure with me. Does it mean you're not going to feel pain? No, 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 no. It doesn't mean that. But it means that you have the divine Father God in Jesus Christ who will see you through the storms of life. John chapter 16, verse 33. We quote this verse so many times, but we only quote half of it. What's it say? In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's a beautiful last part of the verse. First part says this. I said, to these, I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. The, the source of peace is not in a pill, is not in a promotion, is not in a job, is not, 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 not. It's in a person. And that person is Jesus. And if you try to insert peace in any other form in your life, you will find sore dissatisfaction outside of being with Jesus and Jesus being with you. And yes, he may lead you into that storm. But if he's with you, he will also lead you through that storm. I'll tell you about a storm in our life. Lori and I's life was, uh, happened a uh, number of years ago whenever we first moved to, to Zambia. And we moved there and we were, just, we were just so excited to get there. We'd gone through training. We'd, so many things were just lining up perfectly and beautifully. And we go to land on our British airplane into the capital city of Lusaka. And Caleb throws up on Lori. So she gets off smelling like child vomit. 
sorry, it is. As nasty as it sounds, it, it was. And that's what she smelled like. And so you're going through customs lines, smelling like vomit, and it's just, it's the, it's the summer season. So it's just kind of like getting nastier and nastier on her. It's like, I'm like this. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're, we're going through this whole, this whole process of going into the country. It's going to be good. This is just a, but listen, I'll tell you right now, I could tell you for the next year and a half of all the vomits that we've had in our life in that period of adjusting to living there. And there are many, because it was about a year and a half before we felt at home. And some of y'all have just moved here and you're feeling the same way. Like this place is a place of vomit. Well, we get off the plane, we're greeted by these missionaries, which are half-hearted greedy because they really weren't excited to see us, but they're excited to see us. But we were representing the new school and they're the old school. And it was kind of like this, this bad family reunion day one. It's like, I, listen, I'm, I got blood relatives I could have family reunions like this with. I don't need you guys. So it was a really awkward kind of thing. We're still all within the first 72 hours, and, and, and our kids start immediately crying themselves to sleep. Now, mind you, God has led us here. There's no doubt in our mind that God has led us here. But Jordan is crying herself to sleep at night about her friend back in, uh, back in uh, northeast Arkansas named Allison. I wish Allison was here. I miss Allison. You talk about ripping our hearts out. Now our kids are crying. Now we're crying. 72 hours, we're still in that same period of time. We're laying in bed, and we're, we went from a queen-size bed to a full-size bed, which is, I'm a pretty big old boy, and so that, that, was, that was an adjustment in itself, and we're laying here like this because it's hot, and we, skins are sticking together, and we, you know, it's a great birth control method, and so you're just sitting there, and you're just like this, and she's crying, Lori's crying, and I'm like, honey, I, this is, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I told her these exact words, honey, it couldn't get any worse. I promise you, it can't get any worse. The next morning, we wake up to boom, boom, boom. We thought there was a jackhammer going off over here. There was a coup in the country. They had just dethroned the President Chaluba, who had been elected as president. The army had taken over the state house, which was this direction of us, and the radio television uh, towers that communicate out to the country were on this side of us, and we are stuck in the middle. We got a knock on a door in the morning saying, listen, don't come out. There's a coup in the country. And it literally is going on at that very moment. It's like, okay, it could get a little bit worse. <laughs> we're in a foreign African country, and there's a coup, and we're, we're the bait in the middle. We laughed about it, seriously. And by that afternoon, it had been squelched and things were somewhat back to normal as Africa can go sometimes. But the point is, is that God led us there. And to this day, our kids look back at those days and we look back at those days as beautiful days, but God led us into a storm. What's your storm? Isaiah 43, verse two, when I pass through the waters... I will be with you. Or when you pass the waters, as God speaking, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, he's not your, your, your shortcut out of the pain. He's your surefire way through the pain. Number two, the storms reveal the weaknesses and the dark holes of our life. We don't see how weak we are until we're weak. 
We don't see the holes of our hearts until we are broken and the, the hollowness and the shell has been broken. I've quoted from Larry Crabb so many times, but here's one more time. Shattered dreams will create an opportunity for God to work more deeply than ever before no, uh, to further weaken our grasp on our empty selves. We have, listen, I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, but point right back at me. We are many times empty with a facade all cleaned up, but we're empty. What happens when pain comes is it reveals the empty shell that we are, and that's a good thing. And we need to lean in on that. And we say, God, what are you doing here? If you'll notice here, weakness was unveiled. Here are professional fishermen in a boat crossing a, 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 a lake, a sea, if you will, that they could have done it blindfolded. But yet it says in verse 24 that the wind was against them. The wind was against them. In Mark's version of it, it says that they painfully were trying to cross to the other side. But the wind was against them. Painfully, I want to emphasize I can understand this a little bit. I've not been much of a maritime person myself. But there was a, there was a time this past summer where Josh and I were actually sea kayaking out in, uh, off of the coast of Australia in the Coral Sea. And we went out with a tailwind behind us and, and the waves behind us. It was kind of nice going over to Dunk Island and to, to, to snorkel and all that kind of stuff. And then we started to come back. And that tailwind was now a headwind. And then the winds had picked up. And we're not even talking a storm. We're just talking a little bit of wind. And we are rowing, and we are rowing, and we are rowing. And if you stopped rowing, you lost all the ground you made. So you had to keep rowing. So I, had to, I understand a little bit about what this is. And what happened is that was a painful, tiresome, in fact, Josh said that was one of the worst parts of the entire trip was that sea kayaking moment. Listen, pain will show your weaknesses. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hezekiah had to deal with life-threatening illness. And it says this in Isaiah 38, verse 17. Yes, this anguish was good for me. Can you say that about your pain? This anguish. You may not be able to today, but I pray to God you will soon. This anguish was good for me. For you have rescued me. from. If we could be rescued from ourselves... That may be the greatest rescue that we can go through and forgiven of all my sins. It also reveals dark, dark holes. The dark hole of fear is what captures so many people. That dark feeling of fear. Here again, these, these disciples are incredibly strong and able men. In verse 26, but the disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. So here they're terrified. They're seeing this ghost. Hold it. This is Jesus. <laughs> He's not a ghost. They thought he was a ghost. It brings up fears that, of, of, of unrealistic fears and thoughts. And then verse 30. Again, I, I'm a spoiler alert here, but I know you know the story. Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. And then what happens in verse 30? But when he saw the wind... He was afraid. He saw the wind and he was afraid. So he saw Jesus and he had faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw Jesus, he had faith. When he saw the wind, 
And let's just say today, metaphorically, what is your wind that's blowing against you, that's painfully pushing against you? When he saw the wind, he was afraid. It shows the dark holes of our life. I put this on Instagram this past week, copied it over. Everything you do is triggered by an emotion of either desire or fear. And I think there's more people motivated by fear than desire too much of the time. What, 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 what storm will do will be like that. Was it green light, blue light, whatever it is? It goes into the, the, the guest hotel room. And it shines the light in the dark room and it shows all the things that you're going to be sleeping around. And you thought, just turn the light off. Well, that's what, that's what pain does. Is it shines a light that unveils the dark spots and the holes of our own soul. Number three, storms increase, increase our opportunities to exercise our faith. I want a big faith, God. Well, okay, that's going to require you to be able to get out of the boat. I love John Ortberg's book. Whenever he talks about the title of the book, it's literally this. You want to read a great book? Here it is. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You want to walk on water, you got to have to be willing to get out of the boat. Listen, Peter, yes, he had fear. Yes, he, he saw the wind. But let's back up before that. He also had this element of faith that I hope that we all would have. Now, there's five different times in the Gospel of Matthew that mentions things about Peter that Peter doesn't mention about himself when he's giving his download to John Mark, who writes the Gospel of Mark. And so Matthew comes back around and says, hey, but Peter, you, and this is me, my paraphrase version, you didn't include the time where you got out of the boat and you walked on water. I don't know if it was an embarrassment to him or not. Why didn't he include that? I don't know. But it was an opportunity for him to exercise his faith and to get out and to walk on water. So here's what's going to happen. When a storm comes, and you may be in one, when pain comes, and you may be feeling it right now, this is an opportunity to quit talking about your faith and start living it. It's going to be that time. I have a memory card system, a, a scripture memory uh, card system that I see a verse as God shows it to me in my times with him each day. And, you know, maybe it's once every other week. or Maybe it's, one stands out, just jumps off the page. But there's one that's literally at the very front of my memory card system that I've been memorizing and reviewing and memorizing and reviewing. And I've got it down, but, man, I've got to come back and recall it again and again and again. And I have it dated here whenever God spoke it into my life. I don't have a clue. I cannot remember what was going on on January the 16th in 2009. But evidently, I read this verse, and it meant something to me meaningful. And I've been memorizing it. And here's where it goes. If you faint in the day of adversity, it means your strength is small. I don't want to have a small faith. I don't want to have a small strength. But you know, I'm going to know how strong my faith is in the days of adversity. Not when everything's peachy and exactly how I want them. Number four, attitude I need to have is that the storm, storms are going to lead me to worship. Storms are going to lead me to, to worship. Now, that may not sound right because to be honest with you, there's times I don't feel like coming in here and worshiping. I don't feel like meeting with God and worship on a daily basis. I don't feel like it, but worship isn't a feeling, okay? We've got to get that out of our minds. 
Worship is an attitude. It's, a, it's, it's an approach to God. It's a, it's a connecting with him. And listen, and just get it down, big, plain and straight. We all worship something. We are all worshiping something. I came across this quote from novelist David Foster Wallace, who wrote this statement, and listen to this, just before he committed suicide. He made this statement when he spoke to the 2005 graduating class at Kenyon College. Listen to the words of a man who commits suicide. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type, Jesus for us, thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before you finally grieve your you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. There are fault settings. Every one of us is worshiping something in this room, something in you, something about you, something around you. But here's what storms will do. Here's what pain will do is it will rip all those away. It will take all of those away and you will have nothing. And then all of a sudden you will realize that everything I've been believing and hoping and trusting in to save me, to protect me, to give me a better day tomorrow is in, found in God, is found in Jesus Christ. It's what, it's what the psalmist said when he said, I am at rest in God alone. Alone. Whenever they reach this storm in their life, verse 33, it says, and those in the boat worshiped him. How ridiculous is that? When you're suffering, when you're about to die, when you're in a storm, and you bow down and worship him? Unless we have the right attitude and we understand that God is the one getting us through the storm. I need to bow my life before him. When David was cleaning up the mess of his own life, his own confession in Psalm 51, verse 8. Now notice the dichotomy here. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. What a beautiful picture it is when we realize we cause some of our own pain and God dealt justly with us, but he also can be the very one who can restore our hearts and our lives to worshiping him again. There's so much. I could have gone go on for weeks and weeks and weeks in this series because every page you turn to in this book, you see pain, you see suffering, you see injustice, you see war, you see famine. And it's not until you understand it from Genesis to Revelation 
We live in pain. We are in pain. We will experience pain. Pain is a part of it to the very end of time when he finally wipes, wipes away all pain from us. But if there's one name that we've not talked about, and that's the name of Job. And I'm sorry, we're just going to have to just give you this quick summary of the life of Job and just, and just take it, but realize this. And you, many of you all know the story. His life was incredible. He, everything was in place. His family was in place. His wealth was in place. His na- name and character was in place. He loved God, but yet Satan said, no, he only loves you because you blessed him. You take it all away, and he won't worship you. So he allowed him to go through a storm. I'm talking about a storm that did not end in his soul. Job 30 verse 17 says that the pain that gnaws at me takes no rest. Some of y'all, that would be your life verse right now. The pain that gnaws at you, there's no rest. Job 38 verse 1. Even in the midst of all of it, in the storm, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. God's still speaking. God's still working. God's still directing if you will lean in and you will listen. And when all of this happened, when all the bottom fell out of his life and every, all of his dreams were dashed, Job chapter 1 verse 20 says it like this. Job stood up, he tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head. And what did he do? He fell down. Fell to the ground and he worshiped. There's something powerful about this. The disciples are in a storm. They fall in their boat. They start worshiping. Job loses everything. He falls on the ground. He starts worshiping. It's because all of a sudden, all the the little lean-to house of cards have been crumbling, and you realize that what do I have holding on to? It's holding on to me. It will never let me go. He's near to those who are brokenhearted. He will never leave us nor forsake us. All of a sudden, you realize that when everybody else has left the party and you're left cleaning up the mess, that God's still there. And he is going to be there. And you fall on your life, fall on your face and you worship him. What about you today? Where are you at? Are you in a state of worry? Or do you have an attitude of worship? Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to end our time today with a little bit more worship. We're going to be reminded that we don't have the last word, that our pain doesn't have the last word, that the Lord has the last word. And that let Him be God in you like maybe never before. Father God, you know our hearts and you know the storms that we're in. Lord, some of them you sent us into. But Lord, may we not be like the disciples who don't get it. We've seen miracles in other people's lives, but we don't get it. You're wanting to do a work in our life, but we don't get it. We miss it from the last time. Lord, help us to get it today. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are near to the brokenhearted. You will restore us broken and crushed bones to rejoice again. Lord, thank you for being the God that you are who loves us as deeply as you do.
Lord, may we fall down. May we bow down. May we even stand up. May we raise our hands in worship to you now because you are worthy and you will never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and would you sing with us?